0: And uh, let me say a quick prayer as we get open here. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that we can study your word and we can draw near. Father, would you bless this time, Lord? Would you direct me and fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us where we're at, Lord, and so we can understand in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are going through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at verses, chapter 1, verses um, 18 to 23. We started with verse 15 last time, but um, obviously I didn't get as far as I wanted to. So Paul is, is um, I'm going to just read the text here real fast, and then we'll talk. Ephesians one verse eighteen says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, here what Paul is doing, he is in the midst of praying and thanking the Ephesians for what he's hearing about them. Paul actually helped start the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 19. It's been a few years since he's been there, and he's hearing, hearing great things about them. Evidently, since he's left, new people have come in, and, uh, and so he's hearing great things. He's hearing, as he says in verse 15, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ which, uh, which is among you, and your love for all the saints. And we looked at that last week, the sort of like what to look for in a church or what really we want our church to be. We want our church to be a place that is faithful to Christ, that is all about Jesus. But also we want a place where people feel love, the love of Christ, you know. Uh, and so Paul kind of gives that as a balance and he says, listen, I, I keep praying, he says in verse 16 about you, and I'm praying for one specific thing. And this is really what Paul is saying. I pray that you come to know God or grow in your knowledge of God. He says, actually, in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What does that mean? He says, I pray—now, you guys are Christian, he says. You guys are believers— but I'm praying that God gives you a knowledge of Him, an experience with Him, that of um, uh, spirit of revelation and knowledge, He says, in the knowledge of Him, that as you walk with Him, you'll grow. Okay? That's really what the Christian life is all about. There's, there's salvation, which is like your introduction to, to Christ, but then there's the rest of your life where you're hopefully growing in your relationship with Christ. He says, "I'm praying that that happens." Now, certain things have to happen. He says, "I pray now, verse eighteen, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened." Now, that's a, that's a strange thing. Eyes of your heart. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the the seat of your emotions, the place of your your really was your heart, and it wasn't the physical organ. It's the it's the and it's more than just the mind. It's the place of where you perceive things. It's the place where you feel things, the place where your true belief is. That's what they call the heart. He says, I pray that your eyes would be open. You know, a lot of the Christian life is the opening of eyes and realizing uh, certain realities of the riches in Christ that are available to us. Now, I want you to go to a few passages. Look at Luke chapter 4. I want to show you something. Just kind of as we get uh, just started here. In Luke chapter 4, one of the first things that Christ actually does is he makes people see. And Luke chapter 4 is one of the main texts uh, that is sort of the foundation of this church. Luke 4 and Isaiah 61 are the two, but Luke 4 and in verse 18, I want you to check this out. Jesus reads, he says, that the spirit of the lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind now we know physically he healed people physically but the most dramatic and most important thing he does for a person is give them spiritual spiritual sight is whereas before they didn't see god but now they see god right that that is more important than physical uh, healing than anything else is the physical is the f- spiritual insight. In fact, when ca- God calls Paul or Saul of Tarsus to become Paul, He says the same thing. Go to Acts chapter twenty six to your right. This idea of opening the eyes, Acts twenty six, and Acts is actually um, rep- reporting uh, recounting. Uh, to King Agrippa, his salvation, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And in verse fif- uh, verse 15, he says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, this is Acts 26, 15, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. And for this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and witness not only the things which you have seen, but also the things which, you, which I will appear to you. To uh, verse seventeen, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's it is, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified. Now, this is what Paul is doing. He says, "Listen, I pray that your eyes will be opened. Now, here initially, Christ says, "Initially, when you become a Christian, there's an opening of the eyes." Right. A realization of who Christ is, but then, as a Christian, there's further of those uh, things that happen where you were like, Oh lord, i didn 't see that before, where God teaches you deeper and deeper things. and Paul is praying, I pray that, the, that God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you will, you'll will see him, so that you 'll perceive things about him. Does that make sense now here's what 's interesting here's what's interesting what Paul is praying is the reversal of what happens in Genesis 3. Go to Genesis 3. I want to show you something. And I'm not to my first point yet. I'm just kind of developing right now, so just track with me here. Genesis 3, I want to show you something. Genesis 3 is, is the, uh, the account of the fall. And, of course, the serpent comes on the scene. The serpent is, you know, a puppet of Satan or Satan himself, and he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, Genesis 3, 1, which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any of the tree of the garden? And the woman said, You know, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it or die. Now, I don't know if God said don't touch it or die because he doesn't record that, but the point is Eve was like, trying to say, we are not supposed to go near that tree, right? That's the one tree you don't touch, you know? And the serpent said in verse 4, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your, your eyes will be what? Opened. Oh, you're going to see new things. When you eat of this tree, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. Now, when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took it from its fruit and ate, and she gave all to her husband, and he ate. Uh, and then what has happened? Verse 7. Then the what? The eyes of both of them were what? Opened, and they knew that they were what? Naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. And made this. Here's what happens. So Satan says, you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be open. Now what happens? When they ate of this tree, their eyes were open, but they didn't know good and evil the way that God knows good and evil. God doesn't know good and evil by experiential knowledge. Because God never sins, right? They know good and evil by experiential knowledge, and then they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. And what happened after that? They hid themselves from God. God comes in the garden and says, hey, Adam, where are you at? I hid myself because I knew I was naked. Who told you were naked? Now, here's, what, here's what's happening. When someone meets Christ for the first time, their eyes are now open. But no longer are they naked and ashamed. They're open because now they're clothed in Christ. Now, Paul says, I pray that your eyes would be open." before the opening of the eyes by, by listening to the devil leads you to, oh boy, I realize I don't have much. I realize I'm without, right? Paul says, I pray that you your eyes will be opened so that you realize actually what you have in Christ. He's going to develop that point in the next, if I keep cutting out here, am I going too far forward? It's, okay. How is this? Okay. Okay. <laughs> So here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to develop a point. He's actually going to develop three areas. Okay, three areas of insight that God wants to give us. Three areas of sort of growth in the spiritual on the Christian life that He wants us to realize. Okay, just as they realized they were naked and without, Paul says, "I want you to realize what you do have with Christ." Does that make sense? There's so much about the opening of the eyes. That's why Paul prays, believers, I pray that you see and understand. I pray that you know. Now let's go back to Ephesians. Let's get to this verse 18. I do not perceive my water bottle. Here, they, here it is. Because I am without water. I am thirsty. I am as Jesus says to the Church in Laodicea, you don't realize, you think you're rich and full of stuff, and you realize you're naked and without. But anyway, Ephesians. So here's what Paul does. Back to Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, here's the purpose. Why? the purpose, he's praying, so that three areas, you'll be perceptive in three areas, so that you will, one, Know what is the hope of his calling. That's the first one. Secondly, two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And three, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe? Now, guess what? Of those three points, Paul actually spends most of his time on the third point, but we are not because the time may not allow me to develop that, but I'll try to, okay? Okay. So Paul says, first of all, I pray that your eyes, your understanding, your, your heart, your, your insight, that you will get it, so to speak. You'll understand the hope of his calling, that you will know to hope of his calling now I gotta stop at this word No, you see this word no in the, in the English it's the word oida and it's a different word from the word knowledge back up in verse 17 verse 17 that word was gnosko and that word really means experiential knowledge but here in verse 18 the word oida is the word that means to know perceptibly to know within your heart does that make sense? To have an absolute fullness of knowledge, rather than a progressive knowledge, you have insight. Like Jesus says in John eight, he says, "I know my Father." Uh, and he says to the Jews, "You don't know my Father, but I know my Father." He uses he uses uh, he says, "Go go to John 8. I'm sorry, I might as well just have you guys turn there. You know, someday I'll have a nice big screen up here, and I'll just use a clicker, and just we'll go to all these. You know, 80,000 verses that I have every week, but right now we're going to have to flex our muscles, you know, lift little weights and turn our Bibles, you know, to, to see the scriptures. Is that, is that, you know, are you tracking with me there? John 5 of John 8. Now, I had a little bit of coffee, but it was a mocha, so I'm not really, it was mostly milk, so, but, all right, we're having fun here. John 8, look at this, John 8. Suddenly I got really loud. John 8, like, like up decibel level here. John 8, 54... 54, where you at? Yeah, 54 or 55. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And, he, and you have not come to know him, Gnosko, experience him. You, don't have, you haven't even experienced him. Here's what Gnosko is. Gnosko is to experience as if you met him for the first time and you're walking with him. He's saying, you Jewish people, you haven't even met him. You know, when you know somebody, you're not just introduced to him. Then there's an aspect of knowing some You know how it is? You're like, I was, you know, certain people just get you, right? You know, you, you just, like, you're, you're hopefully your wife and your husband, you, you understand each other. Well, when you first met that person or your best friend, let's say, you just got to know him. And you start walking with them, and you know, living a life with that person. Then you're understanding, oh, how they think and how they track. Then you get to oida them. You track with them. Does that make sense? Well, Paul says Paul says I pray that that's what happens. And Jesus says to these to these Jews is you don't even know God. You haven't in, in, met God to even gnoshko you know God now you know I'm talking about but I know God. He says I know I know him. I oida him. And if I say I don't know him or order him, I'll be like, like you, because I do know him. So Jesus is saying, I not only know God experientially, I know God because I perceive him, because, of course, he is God, right? But he has a deeper knowledge. That's what Paul is praying for us. See, it's not one thing to say, here, Jesus, I met you one time years ago, and that was it. It's like going and you met your wife. Can you imagine, you guys had 23 years, right? Today? 23 years, Michelle and Pedro... Now imagine this, imagine this, you guys met 23 years ago, and you got married, let's say, and then after that, it was like Pedro said, see you later, I'm married, I got my ring on my finger, see you later, you'd be like, well, now we're married, that means we get to experience life together, right, I get to learn to oida you and to know you and to, and you, and we grow in that, Right? That's what Paul's prayer is for us. Now, are we, are we together on this? Yes, we are together on this. To know and perceive beyond the shadow of the doubt. So, a shadow of the doubt. Go back to Ephesians. Um, <clears throat> now, here's the question. Here's the thing that, that's interesting here. Paul's praying. I pray that you guys, your eyes will be open. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm thankful that you have love and you have faith in Christ. But I'm praying for deeper things. I'm praying that there's growth. I'm praying that you continue on that, right? You know what's interesting is if we only knew what God had in, had in front of us, right? If we only, how, okay, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this today. Um, I was thinking about my mom and, and my stepdad coming and possibly my dad coming. My dad emailed me. Hey, where's your church, right? We'll have to go find him, Jesse. We'll have to find my dad and drag him over here, right? Yeah, we'll go, we'll, we'll, yeah, because my dad's come before. You know that. But I was thinking about that today. And I started, I started crying. I was like... I still remember sort of as a little boy. I remember, Mom, I remember looking at, at Grandma's big family Bible. By the window where she lived for many years, I still remember the white drapery and this big, huge Catholic family Bible, right? Huge, right? Until little boy, Grandma, what's this? And now I'm talking about, you know, having a church. And now I'm talking about all this journey that God's... I had no idea, as a little boy, what God would have in store for me. And we, the kids in here, you guys have no idea the plans that God has for you. The wonderful plans that He has for each one of you, that are way beyond your wildest dreams, and in our minds, even beyond your parents' wildest dreams. Because you know, as parents, we want to think certain things for our kids, and we envision all oh, you know the married, um, You know, let's still marry a nice young man someday. It'll be, a, it'll be this. You know, we'll think in our mind how it's all going to go. Right? Life happens, but God knows what those plans are. Right? God says, "I know the plans I have for you." I don't know what plans you had for you, but I know what the plans I have for you, right? And there is a there is a, a point where you say, "Oh Lord, if I only knew, if I only knew what 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 you had in store." In fact, the first thing that Paul says, the first point I want to make, is in verse eighteen. He says. I pray that you that you would know the hope of his calling, and that is the certainty of his purpose for your life. I pray, the f- first point is that you would know the certainty of your purpose, the hope of his calling. Now, I can spend probably a few weeks just in that section right here, just in this right here, this huge... Now, I want to... But we don't have, well, maybe we do have, actually, you know, we can take as long as we like, you know. Um, um, I I pray that you know the the hope of this calling. Um, Let me explain a couple words here before I give you an illustration of this. When we read the word hope, what is the hope of this calling? When we think of the word hope, we usually think, oh, I hope... The Cardinals win this week. I hope the Diamondbacks win, right? I hope the Dodgers lose, right? And all these kind of things, right? I hope, I hope, fill in the blank, right? I hope my, you know, or I hope I win the lottery. If you play the lottery, I don't endorse that. But we had this. That's the word. That's what we think when we say hope. That's what we mean. And that's what the Greeks actually meant. The Greeks actually meant for hope it was a dream that was designed to take you out of reality and forget reality. That's what what hope meant to them. To the Old Testament, the Jewish standpoint, it was different. Hope was something that was you look forward to with an expectation of it happening. Um, There is a confidence of something that is good and beneficial. There's a confidence in not some imaginary force out there that will do something. There's a confidence in the God who calls us. I want to point something else out Look at this. I have three points here. The first point is the certainty of his calling. But look at this. What is the hope of what? What does your text say? Ephesians 1.18. What is the hope of who's calling? His calling, what is the hope of His calling? Who's His? Christ, of God, God the Father, right? It's one thing when I promise something. Dad, you promised. I'm really expecting you to come through, right? I mean, I can, you know, you promised you would take me for ice cream or something, you know. Oh, oh, I forgot about that, you know. And I'll let my kids down, let's say. I'll say something, and they're they're hoping, okay, can we do this now? Can we we play this game together couldn't you know joshua and i like to wrestle or play certain games you know dad can we wrestle yeah i'll wrestle when we get home so joshua's all excited oh i can't wait you know he's expecting us to wrestle and i get home and i'm tired i'm like sorry buddy i'm too tired (laughs) you know or i forgot well i'm gonna let him down but if it's the hope of his calling he doesn't let us down he's faithful right this hope is a confidence in something going on in the future. Now, look at a couple of more verses here. Look at Romans chapter 8. Let me just look at Romans chapter 8. Because hope of his calling always has to do with an expectation of something going on in the future. The certainty of something of of certain the certainty of your future in God, the certainty of what He has called you in, uh, to be in the future, the certainty of where He's going to take you in the future. That's the hope. He says in Romans eight in verse twenty four and twenty five. For in hope we have seen we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In other words. Their hope is obviously it's out in the future. The difference is, it isn't me making the promise? It's God making the promise. And the hope is always dependent on who's making the promise and the character of that person, and that's God, right? Sometimes people go through hopelessness. Well, you you kind of lose confidence. You're like, oh gee whiz, I, is there any hope? Is there any hope for fill in the blank? Well, if anything other than God is making that promise, then perhaps there there isn't hope. But God always has hope. There's always hope with God. In fact, go back to Ephesians. Paul says that before you met Christ, go back to Ephesians. And uh, chapter 2, actually, which we, we will eventually be in in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen. hey, we hope. We hope, okay? <laughs> um, Ephesians two he says verse twelve that uh, verse eleven, therefore remember verse verse uh, I'm sorry, verse chapter two of Ephesians verse eleven and twelve, therefore remember formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by their circumcision. Remember, verse 12, that you were at that time separate from, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants and promise, having what? No hope, and without God in the world. He says, before Christ, you were without hope. People who are in the world have no hope. Now, you think about that. Um, to, to have absolutely no hope. Um, hope is like the last thing, Right? It's like faith, hope, and love, but then hope is always the one thing that people are are holding on to. It's that string that people hold on to, you know? Doctor, give give me your prognosis, but give me some hope, right? You're looking for hope. Don't give me the, give me something, but give me some hope. I want to hold on to, you mean there's a chance that this is going to be okay? Well, Go back to Ephesians. I, I, there's a lot I want to share, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm hoping to get through this. He says, he says, well, first of all, what are we hoping for? We are hoping, I know, for righteousness in Christ. We are hoping for heaven, right? We're hoping for salvation. We are hoping for a new body. I'm getting gray. Wow. I'm as strong as I used to be, putting on little pounds. We're not as You know, come on, you know. And there's, and Christ, you're going to get a resurrection body, according to 1 Corinthians 15. We're hoping for eternal life. We're hoping to be with Christ. We're hoping for his glory, right? But Paul means something else here. He says, what is the hope of his calling his calling refers to an invitation to experience certain things, to experience a privilege, a responsibility. We have been called, obviously, um, for, the, for, the, uh, for God's use, and we're, we're called for salvation. Look at Romans 8 again, and I want to show you an illustration of where I'm going with this, okay? Romans 8. in verse 28 through 30 and then I'm going to show you an illustration of of all three points we're going to have an illustration here Romans 8 verse 28 he says and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined stop right there in the first chapter of Ephesians, he actually explains this progression of before the foundation of the world, God chose you, right? And then he sent Christ to redeem you. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to seal you, right? And to sanctify you, okay? Paul's going to go through the same progression with this. He says, Those who he formed knew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Verse 30. And those he, these whom he predestined, he also what? He called... And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Here's the progression. So before Christ, there's a there's there's a there's a choosing by God, okay? Then he he saves them, and then he he has he justifies them and he, he calls them. There's a progression forward. Does that make sense? And the last thing is glorification. Okay? So in our life as a Christian, there's a progression forward. Now, I want to show you something. Go to um, um well. Well, there's several scriptures here. In the book of Genesis, I'll just explain before I go to this verse. The illustration here is Abraham. Abraham is known as Abram. He lives in early Chaldees, which is basically Iraq. And God says, I want you to leave your family, leave your household. I want you to go to a land where I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, right? He gives him three promises. I'm going to give you... Um, children, I'm going I'm to give you land. I'm going to make you a blessing. Okay. Now, he does this to Abraham several times. Chapter 12, chapter 15, 18, several verses. Okay. I'm not going to go off this. But Abraham leaves his family because he's called by God to go somewhere else. Okay. So the calling of God is always a future. It's it's the it's the direction. Does that make sense? There's, there's, the, there's I'm, I'm taking you this way, Abraham, okay? I'm calling you this way, Abraham. I'm going to make you a nation. Abraham, how old are you? I'm pretty old. I'm in my 70s, if I remember correctly. My wife's old, and she's barren, you know? So maybe we're going to adopt. Maybe we're going to adopt some children. Who knows? Who knows? But Abraham goes faithful. He's got the promises of God before him. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a blessing. Okay? Years go by, he's still going in that direction, right? He's still following God in that direction. He's called to that direction. Okay? The first point that Paul is saying is that, that calling that we have as Christians is like that. Okay, And along the way, Abraham is sort of tested. He learns how to be faithful to God. He learns to trust God deeper and deeper ways, right? And you guys know the story. He has, he has Ishmael. And he says, maybe this is going to be my son. And God says, no, it's going to be somebody else. When your wife's really old and really barren and you're, you know, you should be collecting retirement. <laughs> you know, you know, hello. <laughs> retirement. I don't know what. <laughs> I got chipped up here. <laughs> is there a website called Church Bloopers or something? You know, I don't know. But there's a direct. Listen, there's a direction of God's call. It's always that direction. The promises are there, and you and I face steps along the way where it seems like, "How is this going to happen? How is God going to make this happen?" In fact, all along the way, if you read the first, you read the Pentateuch, the first five books, the question is, "Well, how is God going to deal with this? How is God going to handle this?" Right? And in your Christian life, it's the same way. Deeper, deeper levels of trust in God. To the point where as you may have an Isaac in your life, that God may call you and say, I want you to lay them before me. God, we, 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 we're a Christian family. Our kids aren't turning out very Christian right now, God. What have I gone wrong? How come, God? Why aren't they wanting to follow Jesus? Grandma and grandpa follow Jesus. Mom and dad follow Jesus. All, all the cousins follow Jesus, but Junior is not willing to follow Jesus. And God says, Will you follow me even if they don't follow Jesus? That's the real test. Will you follow me because of what I'm calling you to be? You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, Abraham makes his promise to Abraham, or God makes his promise to Abraham individually. He repeats the promise to Isaac because Isaac had to be have God had to become Isaac's God at the same time. Jacob had to have that same experience, right? The point is with the, with the, with Paul saying here in Ephesians is that the hope of our calling is is always in the future, and it's God working on us along the way and say, "Will you trust me?" Because it's certain. And sometimes it feels like life doesn't go anywhere. Sometimes we, uh, come on, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Do you guys like waiting? Come on, Lord, let's get it done right now. Let's have instant church. Let's have 10,000 people here, right? God says, no, you have to trust me. Oh, come on, God. You know, what's you know, you know and we have to walk through the steps. Abraham had to walk the steps. He had to live the life. He had to experience what it is to wait on God and trusting what God promised Certainty does not come from our fickle feelings, but from our faithful God. And our feelings are fickle, but our God is faithful. And Paul says, I pray that you grow in that area of God's faithfulness. Does that make sense? So Abraham is called to that. Do you know what Abraham, okay, do you know that when God calls you and has a calling in your life, which he has in all of us, the calling is not only future and it's in that direction, it's also lives past you. You know that God is going to, to teach you and, and develop in you and, and your children things that, will, that your grand and great-grandchildren will experience. God's promises aren't always just for us, me, myself, and I. They're meant to outlive us. Abraham doesn't know there's going to be a Jacob in Israel. Well, actually, he does know, but he doesn't realize it. He, he, he dies seeing Isaac and uh, Isaac and Ishmael. He doesn't get to know Jacob and the rest of the, uh, of the tribes of Israel. He doesn't get to see them come out of Egypt as a nation, right? He had to die without that promise being realized, but he still followed God in that direction. Does that make sense? Let's go back to Ephesians. We'll cover point two and then we'll be done because we'll cover point three next week. Point two. Paul says, not only do I want you to grow in your certainty of the calling of God, the certainty of, of knowing that God's purposes will come through, even if you don't feel like it, even if you're not convinced of it, even if it's, if it's cloudy weather and if you can't see anything inside, you say, God, how's, how are you going to come through? God says, I'm still going to fulfill my plans, and will you follow me despite anything else you see? The second thing God says, or Paul says, um, he says, I want you to know. I want you to know, or you will grow in your value to God. I want you to know, if you only knew the treasure you are to God. Look at verse 18. He says... I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what the hope of his calling is. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, there's two ways you can take this verse. <clears throat> and I like both ways, actually. But um, one way is the way that we looked at it a couple weeks ago. In verse 14, we looked at the idea that we have given a pledge for our inheritance, that we have been given an inheritance. In verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, okay, that there are certain things that we are inheriting as the children of God, okay? So here's, here's, um, here's a picture. Let's go back to Abraham. What has Abraham promised? Children, and you know, a nation... Land and be a blessing. Okay? So let's fast forward through Abraham's life. Abraham dies. Doesn't have. He's, he's called Abraham before he is. Abraham means a father of many. He's called Abraham before he has many children. He has two. And one's not recognized by God. God only recognized Isaac. So he's a father of one. He's called Abraham. Fast forward, the children of Israel come out, right? And what are they promised? What are they going? To? They're going to the promised land, right? They're promised the promised land. They're, they're being led to the promised land. Um, go to um, Exodus. I want to look at a couple of verses. Uh, Exodus and numbers. I want to show you something about this treasure. Exodus chapter three. And I'm not going to develop this point fully tonight. I'm going to pick it up next week. I'm going to make a certain point tonight, but it will finish. Or we can continue with the third point next week. But Exodus three. Let me just. In verse, well, let's look at verse eight. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from, the la- uh, from that land. This is God talking to Moses in the rooting bush. From that land to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey. There it is right there. Okay, you'll go to verse 17. So, and so I said, I will bring you up out of the land of affliction to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a productive land. Okay, so this promise has been God has promised Abraham land, his children land, his, the nation of Israel, Israel land, and he says, I'm going to give them a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's to be very productive. Go to Numbers chapter 13. Go to Numbers 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 13. And now... That was Exodus. That means they got out of Egypt, Ten Commandments, you know, and they journey to get to the land. Now in Numbers, they're about to enter the land, okay? Here's the scene. You've got maybe over a million Israelites about to cross over into this land. They have been waiting for over 400 years for this promise. How old is the United States? I don't know. 200 and how many years? <laughs> Do the math, right? <laughs> Okay, so Abraham's people had to wait 400 years. The United States is 200 and um, what's 30 years old? I, have 40, I forget what it is. Okay, seventeen. Yeah, just do the math, right? Take out your iPhones and do the math. Okay, Abraham's people had to wait longer than we've been as a nation. I I kind of wish God was a little bit on the fast forward thing, you know, the clicker that would fast forward for time, but He doesn't. Look at Numbers 13. Um. Numbers 13, so here they are, they're coming to the edge of the land, and they send in spies into the land. They say, hey, let's check out this land out. So they send out a bunch of spies to say, hey, let's go check out this land. What's it like? Give us a report, right? And people from every tribe of Israel were sent, and uh, they went outside of the land. So, verse 17, Numbers 13 Verse 17, when Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, go up there into the Negev, which means the south part of the country, then go up to the, the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. And How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? I mean, he really wants to know. I mean, is, is the land that God promises, is it, I mean, is it worth it or is it like, is a swamp land or whatever, you know, what's it like, you know, we want to, we want to know. And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Like, how productive is it? Because if you've got a million people, you're going to want to know this fruit tree is growing. You want to know there's pastures for your sheep and your, and your goats. So you want to know that it's productive, right? And make every effort there then to get some fruit of the land. Now the time there was the, the time of the first grapes, first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land. Now skip on down. Then they came, verse 23, they came to the valley of Eshcol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between them with the pomegranates and figs. Now here's a scene. Imagine you have a cluster of grapes. How many of you guys shop at Costco. You got to shop at Costco? Okay, they sell pretty big-sized grape stuff, right? You get the big plastic thing, you know. And their chickens are also big, too, but the cluster grapes are big, right? Now, imagine you had, this is like mega Costco, because you had such clusters that you had to carry two guys in, the, in a pole, right? Like a pole between them and huge. You talk, whoa, that's in the land? Whoa, and pomegranates and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, just huge, right? Huge, right? So evidently, this land is very, very productive, right? Here's the point. Abraham was promised that, the calling of Abraham, right? Now they're going in, and they're going to what? They're going to get to enjoy it, don't, aren't they, right? Paul says, I pray that just as the children of Israel were to go into the land and enjoy the produce of the land, that you enjoy what you have in Christ, that you enjoy the inheritance of what we have in Christ. Does that make sense? Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Okay, so, so what are things we have in Christ? Christ is my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, but I give you, you know, in a special way. So as a Christian, there is a peace from God that we can experience. There's a peace that we can to enjoy now imagine this imagine the Israelites stood on the sideline and say oh that's that's a great cluster of grapes there and just stared at it and just let it sit there and is, is someone going to eat it you're gonna, who's going to be the first one right can you imagine you're at somebody's house how many of you guys go to somebody's house and there's a there's a there's a potluck and you're shy You guys are shy about eating some. No, you're not shy. You're like, oh, there's this, there's that, there's this, right? You enjoy it. The point Paul is trying to make here is not only is the calling certain, but there is an inheritance that is to be enjoyed. There are certain experiences in Christ as a Christian that should be enjoyed. I just thought about peace. And how how many of us Christians often live without peace? Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, there's forgiveness. Now, how many times do we as Christians live without forgiveness, whether experiencing God's forgiveness or extending God's forgiveness? Go back to uh, Ephesians. So there's Abraham being called in that direction. There's a children individual now seeing the produce of that land. And they are to enjoy that, and as Christians we are to enjoy Christ he calls the inheritance. Now, I'm going to have to stop right here because there's another point I'm going to make, a sub-point, but we're out of time, and I want to respect your time. Um, because it's more than just what God gives us that, are, that is important, but it's also what we are to God that's important. Go back to Ephesians, I'll finish with this. Go back to Ephesians. In Ephesians one, he, uh, that we were just at, he says, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that you may know the hope of his calling, the certainty certainty of the future he has for you, and what is the what are the riches of the inheritance? I'm sorry, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Read again with me: the riches of the glory of whose inheritance?" Say it again. Whose inheritance? So I, I pray that you know the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints. That is referring to his inheritance in you. It's one thing to get things from God. It's another thing to be valuable, valuable to God. In other words, we are his people. We are his inheritance. There's value to us. Oh, boy it's like you you feel like you know what it's like it's like it's like star wars the empire strikes back the second movie and they cut it right there and you have to wait a whole year to see the return of the jedi okay that's where i'm at right here okay i'm not at a good place to stop but i but i'm gonna have to stop here's the point is that paul is praying that even as christians Who know Jesus? He says, "I've heard of your faith and your love. You're growing in that. You love each other, but I pray you grow. I pray that God opens your eyes to experience certain things. That these areas of life, that your calling is certain. That you know you're a Christian. That you know you're called by God. You know that where God's taken you and what He wants to do with you, and you're certain of that. No matter what delays will happen." Trials will happen. All kinds of testings will happen. But God's going to take you there because it's not dependent on your feelings but on his faithfulness. Does that make sense? You trust his faithfulness, not your feelings. You say, God, you've been faithful to me. God, you're silent, but I'm going to go back what you said. I don't hear you now, but I still read what you said. And You say, God, you said this. It's written. It's one thing if it's not written. But the fact that it's written, it's like, okay, here it is, God. And you hold on to that when God is silent, when God is quiet, when God is Kind of not going the way you think you should be going, you say, Lord, but here I'm praying. And God says, Follow me, trust me. Then He says, Not only that, not only the certainty of your calling, but also the, the, the riches that we have in Christ. And I went through two of them. Every promise in the scripture is yours. That's yours in that land, whether it's joy or forgiveness or patience, or strength, or whatever there is, whatever cluster or great promise you can, you can find, you claim that and say, that's mine. That's, that's a promise from God. That's mine. I want to enjoy that. Lord, help me enjoy that. Help me to grow in that. Help me to, you know. Um, and that's part of the Christian life. And then Paul says... That not only that, but you are his inheritance. Oh boy, I want to develop that next week. He, you are his inheritance. And I don't know about you. It's one thing for it's one thing for us to to dream about what we have in Christ. But it's another thing for God to dream about that. Oh man, what do I have in this child? Oh, I have wonderful things in her. Oh, you know, it's like going up, it's like waking up by Christmas morning to the tree. You can't wait to see what somebody put underneath the tree, <laughs> yeah. whether it was somebody, you know, somebody, like, what, what's strapped in there? And that's how God is with us, too. We are his gift. We are his inheritance. He's excited about what he has in us. Oh, boy, I, we can go off on that. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm going to have to stop here. Let's pray. Let's pray, because I'll go another two hours, so. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can grow in you. Thank you, God, that you have a high calling for our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are you have called us out of darkness into light, out of the dominion of Satan, to the to the kingdom of your Son, God. Thank you, Lord, that just as you had a calling on Abraham, you have a calling on each person here, God, to follow you, that you have good things in store for us. And yes, and yes, just like Abraham had to walk every single day of his life by faith and even was tested. We have to experience the same thing, but we know that you are faithful, Lord. You have you fulfilled your promises to Abraham, and they are written in Scripture that we can hold on to and look back and say, "God, that God is the same God, and you're faithful, God. And so, Lord, I pray for, for encouragement for those of us who are discouraged, for those of us who are maybe giving up hope, who've said, Lord, I, I, I don't know what to do. I pray, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that, that you say to that person, my child, my daughter, that I have not forgotten you, I have not forsaken you, that you are still mine, and my plans still hold out for you. And just keep trusting me, keep following me. And I thank you, Lord, that, that not only do we have riches in Christ, we are riches to Christ. That now we have not only do we have resources available in the promised land, so to speak, for us to enjoy, Lord, but there's something else, Lord, that we get to enjoy fellowship with you, Lord. And as Paul says, I pray that the eyes of our heart would be open. Help us, Lord, to perceive that, to realize that, to experience that, Lord, to grow, Lord, in our knowledge with you and our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a few more songs, and then we will. Let's, let's just sing one because of time. Is that okay?